right in the corner where you are. So enjoy. Here we are in Hoover at my apartment with Ben from Shelby County, and we're going to be talking about education today. And the reason I wanted to have you on, Ben, is because A, I like you, <laughs> and B, I really enjoy uh, hearing all of your ideas mm-hmm. about education, especially that you post on social media. But I think we should just begin by you talking about what you teach and sort of what your pedagogy is. Sure. Do you mind? No, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, first, thanks for having me. Uh, this this really is exciting and a lot of fun. Like I said before we started, it makes me feel very important. Um, <laughs> you are. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, so <clears throat> I am a science teacher in Shelby County. I have taught at a couple schools. I've been at my most recent school for a few years now, so I'm, you know, uh, kind of in a routine with things. I teach science. Uh, My degree is in general science. Like most teachers, I've kind of gotten uh, pigeonholed, that's a horrible way to say it, but into just a few kind of subjects. So even though I can teach everything, I I haven't taught everything. I'm now teaching environmental science and earth and space science. But I've also done biology, my, my bachelor's degrees in biology, physical science, physics, kind of a little bit of everything. And as far as my, my pedagogy, I love to kind of throw away everything at the end of the year and start from scratch. This is probably going to be different next year, but <laughs> I really think that just as, as an institution, from a school standpoint, from a teacher standpoint, I like to think about things in terms of goals and work my way back. So what is it that I want kids to be able to do after this class? And, and the to-do part is very important to me. I, I try not to worry so much about brute force memorizing facts and things. It's it, we. I try to keep it skill-based. So uh, without rambling on for hours, that's, that's kind of the goal is I want students to be able to do something with the information. Specifically, you know, uh, the things that we generally think are are the most important in terms of academics, critical thinking, uh, analysis, being able to kind of sort through good and bad data, good sources, bad sources, uh, working together, asking the right questions, things like that. So just getting students to this year in particular, uh, if, if I had one goal, it would be to get students to, instead of approaching education uh, like like they are these uh, empty vessels that need to be filled, they are the active participants in that. They are the ones learning. They decide where they're going to go with it and how they're going to do it. And I am a facilitator rather than just the one, you know, kind of spraying it from a hose. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I hear everything you're saying. I do that too. I teach literature and composition and all that. And even these last two weeks over my break, I've been recreating my American Lit Mm -hmm. class. I never do the same thing twice, but every Mm -hmm. time I'm redesigning it, I think this is why people do the same thing all the time because they don't have the, I have a point I'm getting to. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find the time. I teach in a community college. Mm -hmm. I have to advise students. I have to grade hundreds of papers a semester. I have committees that I serve on. Um, I have to meet with students and really talking with students takes up a lot of time and it should. Yes, yes. But the cre- what I consider the creative part that you're talking about right now where you think of the end goal, what you want to do, where you want your students mm-hmm. to be at the end of the semester and how you sort of map out what you're going to do throughout the semester, the lesson plans or whatever. Right, right. That is a creative headspace for me mm-hmm. that I cannot get into easily. And I'm curious how you... And when, when you find the time and how you approach that planning process, how do you do that? Uh, <laughs> or do you wing it? I, well, uh, both. I, I, I do wing it. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and really probably too much at times. So I am in no way the type of teacher who, you know, I have everything. I have the whole year planned. I've done the same thing for 10 years. Like, that is not me in any way. And I am very, very comfortable. I don't condone this as as an educational practice, but I'm very comfortable walking into a classroom, 
with nothing planned and just oh. kind of saying, hey, what do we want to do? And I can't work, tell you, know? <laughs> you how many times I do that. Right. And, and it, it, while as teachers we shouldn't rely on that, it is a good skill because they're, you know, God, every day, once a week, several times a week, whatever, you're going to get thrown off of your plan. And so it's good to be able to kind of accommodate that. But I, you mentioned a creative headspace and whenever people ask me, why do I get into teaching? And you, you might be prepared to, to ask that. So I'll, I'm going to kind of give <laughs> half of an answer here. I am not kind of a traditionally creative person. I don't draw. I can't sing uh, or, or sculpt or anything like that. But I do love being creative. And I think, you know, we, we really, we have these really bad stereotypical definitions of what it means to be a creative person. Uh, and for me, this is like the most creative job I could, I could find. I get to, you know, uh, I get to craft lesson plans and choose topics and build projects and lessons and, and I get to, you know, look at problems that we're having with students and figure out how to solve them. And all those types of things uh, are just really exciting. Like, I love to solve those problems and figure out clever ways to do it and things like that. So for me, I really do approach it kind of from a standpoint of what is a, an, an efficient way to do this? What is a fun way to do this? Uh, what do students want to do? I try and kind of start with just, you know, your, your, your basic questions, but I really do kind of think of it. I, I like that term creative headspace. I really do kind of think of it as I'm crafting something, uh, or, or, or making something kind of, you know, like a story or a book or something like that and approaching it that way, approaching it like this creative and unique way to solve problems really kind of puts me in this mood or environment where it's it's like making a symphony, but it's, you know, it's academics. And so that just kind of gives me some inspiration and motivation to, to work through it instead of kind of thinking, okay, you know, this is the bad part of the job that I don't like, you know, and I want to right. get through this. To me, that's... that's it's my know. favorite. It's part one of my favorite parts of, of teaching mm -hmm. is that creative part. And I agree with you, or, you know, exactly say this. I don't think, I've never thought you should just have this plan that you stick to and come hell or high water, right. this is what we're doing every day, because... I learned that early on. I was trying to be very specific about every minute. Yes. I would I would give them a handout at the beginning of the semester that said this will last ten minutes, this will be twenty minutes. <laughs> right, right. Okay, sure, right. yeah. If you over plan, then you've wasted yeah. your time. Well and we really are taught to do that. We're yes. taught to overplan, so but one of the things I don't think that administrators understand at my level is how important that part of teaching is. Yes. And I don't think at least where I am there's enough support mm -hmm. for that which would look like time right dedicated mm -hmm. space right how do you because i end up working at home a lot do mm -hmm. you work at home a lot or do you actually have the time at school i try my best not to yeah. um and uh we've we've had several conversations outside of today and outside of education so without getting into politics or anything <laughs> my politics do come into play in terms of, you know, work and when it should be done and this and that or whatever. So I really try not to bring it home with me. I, I don't give students homework. I have a no homework policy because I tell them you are so busy. You have so much to do. School is for school. Home is for home. Home is your chance to, you know, to decompress, you know, um, and, and I try and I try and kind of hold myself to that same standard. Obviously, as a teacher, there's no way to do that. So if I want to do everything at school, I'm just going to stay up till school to five or six, which is what I used to do, or I do have to bring it home to some extent. So I, I definitely do work from home. I try my best, though, for me, the stuff I do at home is thinking and planning about lessons and things like that, and the grading and the, you know, the, the more specific and nuanced things I, I'll do at school. But no, you're right. It, the support from the administration is so so important and it's one of those things that i don't know if i've ever met a teacher that would say you know my administration does exactly what they need to do in every way it's there is a disconnect between kind of what the administrators expect and want and what the teachers need and so just being able to kind of figure all that out you know is is, is a huge struggle as well so yeah kind of getting back to what you asked uh i do work at home a lot um but i try my best not to yeah i want to talk more about 
teachers and administrators. But because I don't want that to consume all of our time, I want to talk about the most important thing, more important than the administrators, is students. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how your students respond to the way that you teach. What do they say about that? So... This is this is literally something that like keeps me up at night. It, it's really interesting because uh, you know I, I I like to think of myself as kind of this progressive, cutting edge teacher, um, and sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But I do like I'm not a, a, I'm not gonna continue to do things that are outdated that we know don't work, even if they are easy, you know, just lecturing every day or, or assigning vocab words, things like that. So I do try and make it progressive and student-centered and, and, and creative. And in fact, uh, I regularly at the beginning of each year will kind of have this get-to-know-you session with the students and I'll ask them, you know, what is your ideal science class? What does that look like? And they always tell me more hands-on stuff. You know, we want to understand why this is important. Don't just tell us that we have to do it. Uh, you know, give us a chance to have some independence and freedom and flexibility, all those types of things. Because that is fairly unusual, you know, for most classes. So I, I do, I build things around that all the time. And students are very uncomfortable with it once they get it. Because we really do train them. And, and I tell them all the time, it's, you know, a lot of these problems are not, the, the, the issues that teachers have with you are not your fault, they're our fault. We've trained you for years and years and years to do this one thing. What they think of as education is, like I said before, sitting at a desk, being told exactly what they need to know, that's it. And so switching that and kind of giving them a chance to, you know, write a paper, do a project or whatever, it seems like something they would like, but now all of a sudden they're thrown into a situation where they haven't been trained how to do this. And so even though it might be better or more fun or more interesting, it's way more comfortable to just go back to the old thing. I don't like it, but hey, at least I know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm constantly running into that with students, you know, figuring out what is still in your comfort zone, but you are willing to kind of, you know, uh, take kind of a, a little bit of a leap of faith there. Do you find yourself having to train them to do, to approach the work in the way that you need them to? The oh, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it takes me all year really to, to get them in that mindset, you know, to... It's a science class, and what they think of as science, unfortunately, is like everything. They expect to sit there and be told these words and terms that they need to know, and that's it. And it's like, well, that's not what science is. We know science is experiments and investigating and being wrong and then figuring out why you're wrong and trying again. And so I try and very early on give them this sense of it's not only okay to be wrong, it's good to be wrong because... Being wrong eliminates one of your possible answers now. You're closer. So you have them doing experiments in the, in the class? Yeah, I, I try and make it experiment and or project driven as much as possible. So what's an example of a project or an experiment? Because I was horrible at science and I wish I'd had you as a teacher. Yeah, see, every, that's, uh, and I'm going to answer the question, but everyone <laughs> always comes into my class and they always say, oh, science is my worst subject. You know, I'm, I'm good at history and English, but math, you know, math and science. And I always tell them, well... You know, what is a science class? Did you sit in a desk and listen to lectures and write down notes? Yes. Well, what did you do in a history class? Sat in a desk and I listened to lectures. So <laughs> it's, what do you mean you're bad at science? You've never done science, you know? Yeah. So just for instance, the most popular thing we did last year was the egg drop. You ever done an egg drop? I've never done an egg drop. So yeah, they're, they're very common, but you, uh, you have an egg, an uncooked egg, and you have to build a device that if you drop the egg from a certain height, 20 feet, 100 feet, whatever, you know, that it can survive. Um, and so this was in physical science. So you have to do stuff like, you know, calculate the force that the egg's going to be hitting the ground with, how much energy does it have, how long is it going to take, all this stuff. And you have to figure out, okay, well, well if I put it in styrofoam, is that going to work? No. If I build, you know, this little straw cage around it, will that work? You know, and so that was really, really popular, just building these cages to put these eggs in to see if they would survive, stuff like that. You know, that's so interesting to me because one of the things that that does, I think, is it roots us as human beings more into the physical world around us. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us who are in the arts, not all of us, mm -hmm. some very creative people who paint and do things like that, mm -hmm. obviously understand color and texture and light. Right. And, but I think there's, speaking for myself, there are certain things that took me a long time to understand, just mm -hmm. practical things mm -hmm. that I think I would have understood better if I had understood science 
better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love to hear that. We didn't, I mean, we had labs, but Mm -hmm. we dissected a pig. Right. And I made my partner do it because she lived on a farm. Right, and I was like, right. I'm not touching that. She's like, well, I'll do it. You know? Right. So <laughs> that's how she sounded in my mind. But I'm curious when you were saying that, like I saw uh, on social media, I won't say, that you were asking about gar- like gar- uh, greenhouse and things like that. Is that yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a project you're considering doing or one that you've done before? No. So I, I taught environmental science years ago. I don't know, five years ago, something like that. And I just recently got uh, switched over to environmental science this year. And uh, yeah, that one of the things, you know, again, that I try and balance is what are, what are the real science academic things that we need students to know? And also, what's the stuff that they're really going to enjoy and want to do? And, and what's the stuff that has a clear, you know, as they would say, real world impact or something like that? Because sometimes they don't always fit. You know, doing trigonometry doesn't necessarily feel like something that you're going to do in the world, even if it's beneficial. So merging that is important. So the greenhouse thing for environmental science, it it just seems like a very natural, you know, uh, greenhouses, plants, environmental science. It just makes sense. What my goal is, though, is that I think, you know, uh, I am trying to kind of subtly embed some very, very practical skills into that. For instance, you know, it's really helpful if people know how to use a hammer. Or, you know, know how to measure things and cut things. Absolutely. And, you know, and so kind of tricking them into learning how to do that is really the goal there. Well, I wonder, though, that I think all that is great. And, of course, my mind, I'm always trying to figure out. It's interesting to me as a teacher when I hear teachers in other subjects like science, especially mm-hmm. STEM subjects. And I'm trying to apply what they're talking about yeah, to yeah, my yeah. English <laughs> class. Right. But forget that. I'll think about that later. <laughs> I, wor- I wonder how with the focus on assessment mm-hmm. and testing how do you assess i hate that word yes, yes. but how do you because i know there's pressure on you to assess how do you assess them and d- is the administration supportive of this mm. and that kind of thing yeah so uh ooh here's where we can use the formative and summative buzzwords here uh-huh. you know? yeah um they are it took uh, me forever to understand what formative oh, and summative man, means yes. and i'm not sure i still they uh, I do. they are uh they're they're very big into formative assessments this year, or summative. I don't know. Teachers don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's right. Um, That's right. So sometimes they're supportive. Oftentimes they're not. And so when we look at things like again, what are we trying to get? What, what do we want students to get out of this, and why? Even though I you know, we've talked about this before, uh, I hate standardized testing, the um, ACT and, and how reliant ever, you know, colleges and uh, are on it and how we, you know, we kind of take all of students' academic, you know, existence and we shove it into this one score like that tells anything, you know, it, that's exactly. very frustrating. So, but students regularly struggle on the science portion of the ACT and it's because there's a lot of graphs and there's a lot of analysis and things like that which is just not what they're used to. Like I said earlier, they're used to sitting in a science class and learning vocab words where we, we want and need them to be doing science. And, uh, you know, numbers are like words in science. That's how we speak science. Uh, there's a, a famous quote that I, that I really love that is, uh, math is the language of science. So you have to know how to deal with graphs and how to read them and stuff like that. But they're just not used to it. So in my class, when we do labs or we do projects, we always try and, and quantify it, put it in a graph and label it and understand it so that, uh, and so the assessments that I do, I try and mimic so that they're not as freaked out when they see the ACT. Sure. Also, that's smart. Yeah, exactly. But also we kind of, the more general expectations, like what my administrators expect, we are finally switching to standards, which I'm, which I'm pleased about to an extent. Um, <laughs> But, you know, they, we have, I don't know if y'all use Alex standards. Y'all probably don't. Anyway, so we have a, no, I don't. we have state issued standards. Um, we have different sets of them, but yeah. Right, right, right. So, uh, and, and they, they were really, really, really bad as you might expect in Alabama, but they've recently been switched and they're pretty good now. So our administrators do expect us to cover these standards. But again, these standards are things like, you know, students can, Students can develop a mathematical model to describe the 
lifespan and life cycle of a star as uh, as it relates to how stars use fuel and things like that. They're, they're complicated. They're advanced. They're yeah. not just, you know, here's this multiple choice test kind of a thing. So we are kind of expected to assess those as well. And so I kind of try and package that all together. I want them to, you know, make sure that they're getting the standard, but I try and also do that in a way so that, again, things like the ACT and these other things are kind of, you know, not The thing that really bothers me the most, and now we may start talking about not specific administrators Mm -hmm. or administrations Mm -hmm. even, but the idea in education that the teacher is not trusted. Mm -hmm. That's what standardized tests are. If you ask me, it's that we don't trust the teachers. In my mind, here's my radical idea. (laughs) We should do away with grades Yes. and hire teachers who know what they're doing. And I think actually most teachers know what they're doing and trust when they pass that class with a pass fail or whatever it is uh, that we can, we can rest assured. I mean, Companies don't go and, or whoever hires people when they get their bachelor's or their master's or mm-hmm. whatever, you don't have to take another standardized test to right. prove that your education and, <laughs> right. do you know what I'm saying? Right. Although eventually we probably will, but yes. there's this, this, I can't get my students past the point of caring about their grades yes. and caring about, well, I can, but it's very difficult to get them to care about learning yes. and to yes. become curious people yes. Yes. and to understand that what we do extends beyond the classroom. Right. And, I think that it's challenging to do things like you do mm-hmm. because there's this, it's not just administrator, administrators, there's a culture, I think, mm-hmm. and then I'll shut up, mm-hmm. of blaming teachers for what is perceived as a very poor state of education. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I get from looking in from the outside and having only been students, if you're not in education, your experience is as a student. Right. You don't see behind the curtain. We don't have that much power as teachers. Right. No, no. If any. Right. I mean, we do when we go in the classroom. Yeah. But... As far as the institution and how it works. Right. We're not... We're we're little cogs, you know? So... I wonder what you think about assessment, about grades, mm-hmm. about the state of education, about the criticism. Let me just throw a bunch of crap at you. Yes, to, no, please, yes. But where do you, because I've seen you talk about it on, on social media, this, like tenure, like mm-hmm. people get upset about tenure. And I'm like, you know, and I'll say this, I don't care who hears this. I worked at an institution where there was rampant corruption, mm-hmm. administrative cover up. And yes, if, yes, yes. And I actually didn't have tenure. And I, I got tenure at that place, Mm -hmm. but even before I had tenure, I fought that. But after (laughs) it, I was even braver to fight it. Right. What people don't understand about tenure is that you really can protect your students more. Yes. And yourself. Right. If you have tenure. And like you said in your post, everybody should have tenure at every job. It's a great thing. Right, right. It's not like we can't get fired. Right. It's that we have to, there has to be a reason. Yes. Um, And this pink slipping that goes on so often in K through 12, it just drives me bananas right so the security that we need as teachers to ha- to be able to be creative to be able to be caring to be able to be to take care of our students i mean it's just i'm sorry maybe we'll have to edit some of that out but <laughs> no no i know exactly yeah it's... where do you how do you feel about all that yeah no okay so you <laughs> uh i i'd love to to come home and rant about oh, me you know, too. As, as teachers, if there's one thing we are good at, it is <laughs> it is complaining, and and I get caught up in it like everyone else. I, I like to think that I'm kind of doing this, you know, this noble screaming about how to make things better, but it's complaining like everything else. <laughs> but kind of everything you just mentioned are some of my, you know, uh, the biggest institutional wide complaints. Yeah, there's definitely you know day to day problems in the classroom, but then there's also you know the fundamentals. And yeah, no, it, there's, there is this very weird, for some reason, sense that, like, we, we know education's important. People wouldn't say there's no reason to be educated. Uh, most people wouldn't. But people love to talk about, oh, public education and, the you know, the failings of it. It's just, a, it's a joke. Whenever you bring up public education, you know, people are always willing to talk about how bad it is. And like you said, it, it does kind of come from this, mistrust of teachers. We, we look at the system and the system isn't doing what we need and it's, well, the, the teachers are the, 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 the drivers of that engine, so it must be them. Uh, but like you said, yeah, people don't know, a lot of teachers probably don't know how the institution works, you know, from, from the top to bottom. So first, let me just say that you are entirely right about no grades. That we, <laughs> if they're, 
if there's one thing that I could just immediately get rid of, it would be no grades. And, and that seems like a, a trivial thing, but for me, it would completely change not only the way I do things, but the mindset of my students. It really would, because you're right. They care a tremendous amount about their grade. The learning, not so much. I, I taught honors biology. So what we would perceive as, you know, uh, advanced kids, the good at learning, want to learn, etc. I've had them straight up tell me, listen, I don't care anything about learning in this class. I need an A, so make that happen. Ugh. You know? And it's like, well, it, it's not that I don't want you to have an A, it's that I don't care. Exactly. I, re I really don't. I don't care. You know? I care about you and learning, but I don't care about your A. If you want an A, fine. Okay. But Here. do this. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so... For me, and again, this is something that I get frustrated with students about a lot, but I really, I don't think it's their fault because their parents are demanding that they get a grade and their parents are demanding that because they have to get into college and they can't. And it's just, you know, the whole, of course. The whole I system. Blame them. Exact, it's the system. Right. Um, I mean, when, when, when parents are faced with, you know, going six figures into debt or right. not, yeah, getting an A is important. And so I'm sympathetic sure. to that. But if we got rid of grades then we would get rid of this need, you know, this this distracting but motivating need that students have. For me, like you said, it would. The, I think the best thing would be to have something like standards but in the class. And we can have several for science and English and math and whatever. And you have to perform these tasks or things or whatever until you reach a certain proficiency. And when you do... We check it off on a box and you can do that now so you get to move on. And that just seems so much better than a grade. You know, what I, I like to ask teachers this all the time because sometimes I'll say we should get away with grades and they look at me like I'm speaking <laughs> Egyptian or oh, something. Yeah. They'll say, well, what, how would we do that? You know, and I always like to say, well, look at just when you look at a student's grade, when you look at their average, what does that represent? Does it represent their knowledge of the subject? Does it represent how uh, uh, how willing they are to just follow your rules. You know, do you give a grade for participation? Because participation isn't learning, so now their grade isn't really reflecting learning, you know. Um, so if we got rid of that and we could just focus on learning, it really would free us up as teachers so, so much. Um, gosh, even now, I'm just, you know, I have unadvanced students now, and they... Uh, it, this is kind of a stereotypical thing, but they will kind of, you know, not care until the very end. And then all of a sudden oh, at the yeah. end they care. And just getting rid of that oh, would be would be so nice. But no, I, I do think it uh, it is all kind of grounded in this, you know, institution of it, what can we do to make things as easy as possible, even if it's not best. And it is very easy for school systems, colleges, et cetera, administrators to say, well, you know what, if we say that uh, a score on this exam is important, we can just point to a score, say good or bad, and then that's it. We can move on. The alternative is putting huge amounts of resources and time and effort into education, which we need, but that's way harder. So if we can just say score's good, score's bad, yeah. it's very easy to wash your hands of it. I mean, I've been teaching long enough. Yes, Fox, are we out of time? No, no, we're not out of time. <laughs> I actually just wanted to ask something. Oh, please. Um, so... You had just said uh, that people turn to you and ask, like, how do we do that? And I kind of want to ask that in a different way, okay. like sort of a praxis situation. Mm -hmm. Like, who's enforcing this? Who do you turn to? Is it at the state level? Is there a conference that people decide <laughs> yeah. this at? Where, at what level is, th is grading, as we understand it, enforced? And who do we turn to from that point to change it? <sighs> I think my most honest answer would be I don't know. Mm -hmm. no, I mean, not not entirely. I, I couldn't, you know, write a set of directions that would say, here's how we get to this. Oh, no, of um, course not, no. But I, I, like with a lot of things in, in education and really so many different aspects of the way we do things in, in this society is the momentum of tradition drives things, mm -hmm. okay? And we've, we were given grades, and so that worked and I don't know what to do otherwise. So let's just keep doing it. You know, that's kind of the, um, oh, at this point, I think if we could get them, if they could get good ACT scores without grades, 
they wouldn't care. They, right, exactly. <laughs> that you're right. If we could, yeah, if we could kind of game the system by giving them what they want by doing what we want, yeah, it would work out perfectly. I, teachers, teachers really do have a unique amount of power and and solidarity and mobilization and direct action from teachers can be an extremely powerful weapon. Mm-hmm. But there has been tremendous amounts of effort to prevent people from realizing that. Well, especially in Alabama. Especially in Alabama, right. So, for instance, if you look at other uh, other states, and I, I can't remember the exact one right off the top of my head, there, well, there's been plenty of instances which are, are when uh, teachers will go on strike in solidarity with other you know, sectors mm-hmm. because when you shut down the school systems, you're shutting down, you know, parents being able to go to work and, and kids, you know, being able to go somewhere. It really just gums up the works. And, and a lot of times, if that particular sector went on strike by themselves, nothing would have happened, but the teachers really, you know. So if teachers kind of, you know, uh, did some mass organizing and said, hey, listen, things have to change, you know, or, or we're going to strike or, or whatever, that probably would work. But unfortunately, the system is set up. Like you said, teachers don't really have a lot of power in and of themselves. I could go complain to my principal every single day uh, and then he could go complain to the superintendent, but it's just not going to go anywhere. Oh, I've been saying for years, I never knew until I started teaching how important a union is. Mm, yes. And we do have, in Alabama, we have the AEA, but it has been disconnected from mm-hmm. the political power source yes. by the legislature. So there's yes. not really anything AEA can do anymore, especially right. since Paul Hubbard died. Or, or will do. Or will do. Yeah. And what I have found, now there's one thing that I try really hard not to do, and that is to criticize my fellow teachers. But I'm yes. about to do something that, <laughs> yes. I'm about to say something that goes up, kind of crosses that line mm-hmm. a little bit. It is very difficult to get teachers, Yes, I think especially in Alabama, because of, Conservativism. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Conservativism? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm an English teacher. Yeah. <laughs> because of this anti-union mm-hmm. idea yes. that conservatives often have, and I'm not being personally attacking anybody right, or anything, right. but it's very difficult because of that, and I think a lot of other reasons to get, at least in the college community college world, to get teachers to organize, mm-hmm. to get them to, to, to come together, because yes. that is where... The only way you're going to assert your power is to assert your power. Yes. We have I call faculty teachers everywhere, K through 12, college, the sleeping giant in oh, education. Yes, yes, because yes. if we came together, really came together, we're the ones with the knowledge. Yes. We're the ones with the experience. Yes. We are the ones who see the students every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all, we're always left out of the decision-making mm-hmm. process. We're, we just have to make work whatever they told right, us and right. work around whatever they tell us. Yes. And, so I think you're right. I mean, I, I wish that we could have the AEA does do things still. They yeah, have yes, done a few yes. things in the last year. I can't remember or whatever. Yes. But I would um, certainly encourage everyone to join the AEA because oh, it's member. better than nothing. Yes, I'm, I'm a too. paying member. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do feel like teachers don't come together enough. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of times what happens, you brought this up earlier. I don't think people outside this profession understand that we are workers. We mm-hmm. are, we, we, this is a job, this yes. is a career. And so often people, talk about they're so flippant about well fire that teacher and no we we should have due process right a student can get mad at you a parent can get mad at you that you can be unjustly accused of something right <laughs> uh you can be or you can also if you're doing something that you could do better than why not work it's a training yes in, a, in the professional world outside of teaching that's a training opportunity right, right? Yes, not exactly. just we gotta fire that person <laughs> so i think what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, yes. but I just feel that we need to come together as a t- as teachers because it would be better for our students, mm-hmm. but it would also be better for us as human beings. Yes, we need yes. to make more money too. But anyway, yes, absolutely. Which we could also get by going on strikes. So. Exactly, but it's yes. it's not going to happen. So what often happens in education, as in politics, is it's mm-hmm. always about compromise. Yes. So that's what I've learned the most in the political part of things with teaching is that yes. it's just about compromise. How mm-hmm. can I be the best teacher in this system? And you have to choose how much energy are you going to give to fighting against something 
and how much energy are you going to just save for yourself and keep yeah, yourself no, sane? Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> I I, uh, I was talking with a a a fellow teacher that that we both know well just the other day, and I I kind of had this realization that. Well, this isn't my realization. We, we really do kind of do need kind of a great awakening sort of a thing. But I don't think it's, I don't think we necessarily have to, you know, go face to face and, and re-educate teachers to understand their, you know, uh, political or institutional power and then have them redirect it. I think we could, we could benefit from just a few people taking the lead and then helping the others realize that we could build, you know, uh, again, me and some, some, some fellow workers have been kind of building a little unofficial union within our school that teachers can just realize, Hey, this is a supportive network that we can go here to get help or guidance or this or that. Um, and just kind of slowly, you know, like I said, building and showing people that, that more is possible, but there's such tremendous amounts of effort do go into, kind of, you know, atomizing everybody. You're your own thing. Don't worry about everybody else. You just, you know, worry about yourself or else, you know, that really does kind of prevent You that. know, at, at our level, uh, we have different colleges have faculty senates, uh, mm-hmm. and we don't have one at the college where I'm working now, and I would love to get one together. But what I've been saying for a long time is that we need a statewide faculty senate for all the faculty senates to come together. That would be awesome. And that we need to be not reactive, but proactive. Yes. We yes, yes. need to be... If t- here's what I think really happens in education is that teachers don't have or take the opportunity to advance what they know to be the best practices, mm-hmm. the best pedagogy or whatever. Yes, yes. So instead of waiting to be told what to do, I really feel like we just need to assert mm-hmm. the positive. And we're really good at, you're right, we're really mm-hmm. good at complaining about the negative. Yes. But mm-hmm. I think we just need to come up mm-hmm. and come out and say, these are the things that we should be doing. Right, yeah. And just take our seat at the table. Right. Don't ask for it. Just say, this is what we think we should be yes. doing. These are the things that are working. This is what you need to do to help support us. Right, right. Hire more teachers. Give us... I think that I, we need smaller classes. I say that as a person who teaches writing. Mm-hmm. I think there are some people out there who have different theories that maybe big classes aren't that bad. Yeah. I don't know. But for me, to be able to really work with students one-on-one, I give feedback like out the wazoo right. like recorded feedback yes, yes yes you know and and it's just like if i could sit down with people more often about yeah, their writing exactly. go through drafts and all that right. but more time more space more you know send us on retreats yeah no absolutely yeah <laughs> seriously let us interact with each other yeah you know what i mean we that we need to communicate more that's yes. one of the reasons i wanted to do this even k through 12 in colleges especially community yes. colleges really teachers need to be talking to each other more yes 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 so that's one of the things i think would help i love that you're doing that at your school I think yeah that's great. no and, and we you know we i always talk about uh wanting to meet with the middle school um, you know, to talk about things that, that we need, you know, so that when they're getting to us, we can kind of remedy some of the problems. I have recently started I uh, kind of a, a project, a, a work project that I'm working on is I want to kind of create a group that is uh, cross-curriculum. I know that's a horrible buzzword as well, uh, <laughs> in which, you know, uh, science teachers, math teachers, English teachers, and history teachers all come together to, you know, create uh, a, a lesson plans or curriculums together. I've been talking with the math teachers, you know, hey, how can we work together as a math and science teacher? Because we're so, you know, it's so related. What can we do to help each other? Um, I, I, we could have a whole another podcast about writing because we've talked about this a lot as well. But writing is such an important thing that students need to learn and work better at. uh, And they, who do they struggle but, you know, I've been talking with English teachers as well. Hey, what can we do to kind of help? So I would love and, and working on kind of, again, getting some unofficial group that meets regularly. Because if we could start designing curriculums or, or even just lessons in which each teacher is, you know, getting or adding some kind of component to it, but, but it all goes together, that really in and of itself is kind of redefining the way we're teaching and it's more efficient. Everybody's getting needs out of it. Um, but it does just build camaraderie. It gets people to understand that I can work with other people and this information is beneficial. And if you're not going to hire more teachers, maybe if you, your teachers can pull their resources. Exactly. Yes. Yes, yes, exactly. I know a woman who works at Montevallo, and I don't think she would mind me saying her name because it's a very positive thing and it's published. <laughs> her name's Erin Truett Chandler, and we went to grad school together, and she 
works in Montevallo, and she and some of her colleagues, she teaches English, mm -hmm. but I think it was a biology teacher and somebody else, they worked together and planned uh, these overlapping courses, sort mm -hmm. of where those people in the biology, the English, and the other class that I can't remember, mm -hmm. worked on a project all semester in North Birmingham on environmental racism. That's awesome. Isn't that what the, I think that's the term, environmental yeah, racism. Yeah, yeah. And they would go once ever so often to up there and do mm -hmm. like interviews and research and things like that. But in each of their classes, they were doing projects from that subject right, that right, were right. relevant to the to the general right. project. Right, right, and they right. would meet every third class or so all together. Oh, that is awesome. And they wrote a great article about it, the three of them. I'll, mm -hmm. just, I'll send it to you. But that, to me, that sounds like yeah, what yeah. you're doing. And we're Same trying kind of at my school, I'm trying to work with the psychology teacher and the speech teacher, because we're really good friends, yes. about doing this project maybe about, you know, the county that we work in and some of the problems that they have. Maybe we could have like a social services fair and, oh, you know, yeah. just yeah, where yeah. there's riding involved, just all kinds of things yes, like that. Yes, I think we do need to do that more often. Yeah, well, in, in the one of the things, is, you know, it... One of the reasons that the the public, and I'm just going to say the public here is a catch-all term, parents and everyone, they went through a school system, and so they understand. You know, it shockingly since uh, you know a thousand years ago, schools are the same. Yeah. People sit in classes, and they sit in rows, and they look at it, and you know, so many things change, but for some reason, education hasn't. So, you know, parents remember their time in school, and they can apply it to their kids' time, and be like, yeah, that wasn't very beneficial. So. But we also, uh, one of the things that we do, and again, this is at an institutional level, we, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to just very, very, very slightly blame capitalism here. Um, just because I have blame to work, it. Cause I have to work that in or I, or I, I, this wouldn't I would be expect official. no less yes, of you. Exactly. <laughs> we, you know, everything we want to turn into an assembly line. Um, you know, uh, it, Look how awesome it was that we built the Model T and, and this whole industry came about by just giving each little person their little job that they do all day and that's it. And we've really turned that, we've focused that onto the education system. Each grade goes to this class and then you go to the next class and then the next year and everything is hyper atomized so that, you know, each, if you can just get exactly what you want out of this little unit, you know, then we're good. But at the end of this, we're not getting a, 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 the student version of a Model T. We're not getting a complete package out of that because that's just not how learning works. So, you know, we could really help our, not only just the way we teach, but also kind of the, the public's understanding of it if we kind of broke down these barriers. If, if different subjects, you know, I, it drives me so crazy when students say something like, oh, but you're a science teacher. <laughs> It's like, yes, but I know how to write, you know? Right. We, we are educated people. Your, your, your math <laughs> teachers know how to write. Your history teachers know how to do math. You know, these things aren't isolated. And we shouldn't be like, here's a science class, just do science. Writing and math. As an ex, <laughs> as an ex engineering graduate student, you need to write to do science. So much, like that's how we communicate it. And so if we, yeah, like I can, I could easily imagine you working with sociology, psychology, 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 and you know, developing this assignment or curriculum. It would also just kind of give this general sense that education is this comprehensive collective thing right um and i think that in and of itself would just kind of encourage the way people look at it because it wouldn't be this just boring super broken down thing uh the other thing that i, I gosh my mind is like <laughs> you're, you're blowing my mind mm. i knew this is why i wanted you to come <laughs> talk to us because that's brilliant because yeah. it really there are philosophical underpinnings yes, that we yes. have to look at yes about education but what you just said to me, gets at another sort of philosophical mm -hmm. underpinning, which is that human beings are not products. Right. Yes. We yes. are complex beings, and learning is not just memorization. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's just—I'm not even sure how important that is. It is important. Yeah. I mean, but it's a smaller percentage. It's a smaller yeah, percentage, and the idea of a liberal education, mm -hmm. I think, is has been lost. Everybody thinks that education is utilitarian. Yes. 
and I get that people need to, especially in the world we live in, go on and get jobs and make mm-hmm. money and support their family and all of that. But education is not just about getting a job. It shouldn't be. Right, right. Absolutely And not. it should it should be about being better human beings, mm-hmm. yes. I think. Yes. And that is science, and it's math, and it's history, and yes. it's everything. I remember yeah. when I was in high school, uh, Mr. Ledbetter mm-hmm. taught English, and I can't. Miss Penninger taught geometry, and they worked together on a unit, I think, mm-hmm. where, and I, I don't remember everything, but it was really cool, because it was one of the first times that I'd talked about philosophy in a math class, or, <laughs> you know, written yeah. about yeah, something yeah. that oh, I did yeah. in, in math class. Yeah. And, I think that was very interesting, but what you're talking about really does look at the human being more mm-hmm. as, and especially, and I'm not going to get too political, mm. but if you look at the world around us, I think we can all agree that things are falling apart. Yes. And one of the things that would help is if we were better thinkers. Absolutely, yeah. And I that's mean, what, if we were better thinkers in our civic lives. Yes. I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day, David Pluff, mm. who was Obama's campaign manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was talking about with this woman about these people. He said the people who are going to make the election are, you know, they don't are. He was I forget what work, working class or whatever. But he said they don't know who the nominee. He said they don't. We need to introduce them to the nominees, mm-hmm. the Democratic nominees, because they don't know who they are. Right. And I'm sitting there going, the people who are going to <laughs> decide right. your candidate. Yes. In the 21st century, with so much available to us, yes. there are people who don't know oh, don't, yes. things. And I'm not calling anybody stupid or anything. Right. I'm just saying there's not that inquisitive curiosity yeah, yeah. that I think that we should be doing more. And when you're banging grades into their heads yeah, and you're just you're not scaring training them, them. Yeah. you're never going to get anywhere if you don't exactly. have A's. Some of the best students in high school were some of the dumbest people. Yeah, absolutely. They were making great grades. Yes. And... Yeah, and on the flip side, I've had students who just don't care at all who were super bright. Yeah. You know? Some of my favorite students over the years, my favorite student is always the rebel. Yes. I love a rebel. And one who's willing to cross me. One time I had a student look look at me in class and say, I usually have people sit in a circle and lit, mm-hmm. okay? But this year I decided we're going to sit in rows and I'm going to lecture more because I can't get them to talk. Right. So this, I'm lecturing, which I'm not even smart enough to, yeah. to lecture. Yeah. And he's looking at me and he said, and finally one day I said, why are Every class, you're looking at me like you hate my guts. <laughs> he said, well, Mr. Ellenberg, you're not, you're just standing up there and telling us what to think. And you're not listening to us. Ooh. I was like, wow, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. And I, then I went on with the lecture. Right. And, then, and then I went home and I was like, <laughs> can you believe that? And then I said, you know what? He's made, he made me mad. Yes. And that means I'm being defensive. Right. So. And he's right. And I didn't want to do that anyway. I was doing it because. Yeah. I was giving up. Right, right. Next class, went in, put them in a circle, and I said, I want to thank you because you were right. Yes. Let's talk. Let's have a discussion. So I love a rebel. Mm. I love somebody who's willing to stand up, but they don't encourage that in education. No. And some of my favorite students have failed my classes. Yeah. And they're, I can think of one right now who's in special forces. He was. I had him at a military school. Mm-hmm. And he is brilliant. He's probably, he's as smart as you. He is really, really intelligent. Yeah. Like, this level intelligent, <laughs> you guys level. He's very broad, but he didn't do well in my class. And I think a lot of it has to do with that system. You know, it, yeah, it's, no, it's, it has to do with me following the system because, yeah. you know, I have to compromise. No, I, I, I regularly, again, because <clears throat> one thing that I'm, I am convinced of this, and it's, again, I don't want to speak for every administration, but it's not uncommon. Oftentimes administrators would rather keep the status quo, even though everyone can't see the hand gestures I'm making, but I'm doing my <laughs> ceiling thing. Uh, the status quo will not you know, raise people to the heights that we want, but it's comfortable and everybody's familiar with it. And we could change up the way we do things and it would you know, just blow the ceiling off of the possibilities, but it would take a... a a transition phase in which it would be uncomfortable, people would be confused, maybe angry, and you would have to defend it and really go through with it. And a lot of times administrators would just prefer to not, even though this system won't get us to where we need, it's not worth it to have to go through that transition phase. And I, no, I absolutely, I think it is, it's built around, uh, you know, those, those expectations. Even though people like to kind of complain about education, you also don't, people want something familiar. People want something that they can recognize. 
you know, that people get frustrated when their kids are, or, or Common Core and math is a classic example. People were taught math a certain way, then their kids were switched to Common Core, which changed completely how they were supposed to do it. And people would just, you know, go just go mad over what are they having my kids do? Well, it, it's not wrong. You just don't recognize it. And I think people would recognize, would see this and say, that's not education. Even though I don't like education, that's not what it's supposed to be. And having to defend that just requires way more resources than I think people are willing to give. Oh, yeah. It reminds me a lot of when students say, is this going to be on the test? Mm, yes, yes. That, And I think that a lot of parents and society feel the same way mm-hmm. that, especially in literature, if you're talking about something and you're facilitating a discussion, mm-hmm. and let's say we're talking about Jonathan Edwards and his Protestant sermon, mm-hmm. you know, sinners in the hand of an angry right, God. Right, right, And then we start in the course of the conversation talking about, I don't know, Joel Osteen or Donald <laughs> Trump. Right. Or, there might be people who go, well, what does that, ha-? or students might mm-hmm. say, what is that? We just spent 30 minutes talking about modern politics, but we're supposed to be talking about right. sinners in the hand of an angry <laughs> God. I'm like, there are connections, right. and I don't want to spell out everything. In fact, I don't know what they all are. Right, um, right. And I don't even know maybe they aren't there, but there's... In pursuing it, right. there is value. Oh, and yes. no, I can't test you on it. Yeah, right, right. I could have you write about right. it. The goal of this is not for you to recall this on a test. The goal is to do this right here, what we're doing. Yes. That's it. Yeah. And that's sometimes really frustrating for me to, to get students to understand that. And when they finally get it, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of them do, it's really nice. Mr. Ledbetter at, at ARAB High School was so good. He had the, I want to interview him so bad. <laughs> he was able to, we would sit around a, cl- a table and discuss what we had read. Mm. And that was unusual, it's I think. It's unusual now, still. Yeah. My, I talk to my students all the time in their, in their lit classes. You know, do y'all, I was, how much do you write? And they were like, well, I mean, we do worksheets or vocab all the time. Now, how, how much are you writing to, you know, your thoughts and feelings, whatever? Oh, we, we don't do that. Right. How much do you discuss? We don't do that. Well, and, and not just, you know, people complain a lot about, you know, people aren't good writers and whatever, mm-hmm. and grammar and all that. And I don't even want to talk about grammar because I feel like it's not even that important. Yes. <laughs> but I do count yeah. it when I grade, but yeah. it's not. And I think people exaggerate and say, think grammar is worse than it is. What, what really the problem yeah. in writing is people being able to express themselves yes. and to yes. form an argument yes. and to make sense. Yeah. But this, but... A lot of people don't understand science mm. and math. And we have so many students who come to community college who have to take remedial math and remedial English. Yes. And there's nothing, I'm not, th- th- I'm not stigmatizing that. Right, right, right. Um, but, but that's interesting to me that we have, s- why is it, do you think people have such a hard time with math and science? One thing is, it's kind of a joke. It's, it, we, it's some, it, for some reason in society these days, it's kind of, it's, it's cool or funny to be bad at math or science. We, we you know, haha, I'm, I'm bad at math. Well, of course you are. You know, it, it's not cool or good to, to, to be good at these things. So that's one aspect. But really, I really think it comes down to, you know, people experience the world. And we, no matter how hard we try, we're not going to get them to experience the world in the way that we want them to exactly. And I think people just inherently experience math and science in their everyday lives in a way that does not look like what they learned in school because that's not math or science. And so, yeah, they they learn all these things about here's equations and here's terms and this and what's an experiment, blah, blah. But then they get out in the world and, and when they see it formally or informally, well, that's not what it looks like at all. So to them, it's kind of this mixture of well, I was taught poorly, and it's not this, and, and I don't know what it is, so I must be bad at it. And know? that's why I think things that you do, like mm-hmm. experimentation and projects where they see it in action and see how that it's it's a way of thinking, yes. it's understanding yes. things, it's being able to maneuver the physical world around yes, you yes, and to yes, do yes. things. Yes. I think that's really good. One of the things that I'd forgotten that you just brought up, this is why I know you're a good teacher because <laughs> you made me think of something I'd forgotten. When I was a teenager, I learned about myself that even if I'm not the most, even if I'm not the smartest person in the room, Mm -hmm. that it really isn't about what your number is on a test. It's about 
intellectual honesty. Mm. And I was yes, always, yes. I think I may have gotten away from this at some points in my life and it ebbs and flows. But what I've always known, what I learned then is that, and I would love for students to learn this, admit what you don't know. Yes. And ask questions about what you don't know and don't be embarrassed. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and be, and listen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I try to foster in my classroom is to get students to ask questions. I will stand there. Mm-hmm. You know, some, this is the joke that, teachers will go like there's 30 seconds left to class okay does anybody have any questions yes and i've done that yeah but i've purposefully over the past few years i'll stop occasionally in class and say okay questions Mm -hmm. comments suggestions i'm gonna stand here until you ask a question and then when they do it's like oh i'm in my mind i'm like oh i didn't even think that would be a question right yeah and i and i'll tell them i'm like See how important it is that you ask questions? Yes, yes. And I'll answer. And I would rather run the whole class on questions. Oh, Some man. days, yes. just ask me questions. Yes. But questions are so important. And I think that that's one of the things that science mm-hmm. is really good at teaching students. And English can be too. But yes. science, that's what it is. You're <laughs> yes. Well, and that's really just kind of, if I could kind of summarize, you know, you, you asked me at the very beginning, what is my, my pedagogy or, or motivation or philosophy? If I could really just kind of sum it back up, it would be questioning to just to think my my job is not to give you a certain set of information it is to teach you how to think and part of that I, I I want students to just yeah look at things read something and have a feeling have an opinion ask questions be curious about it be willing to you know turn it around and and and, and flip it and chew on it in your mind and then you know attach your own little bits of pieces of things and then and then spit it out talk about it ask questions about it and just getting used to you know again yeah making it yours the information that you learn the education that you have it's yours it's not something that somebody gives you um, and so just being able to kind of you know like I said internalize it make it yours and take some ownership of it is very very powerful and just having that realization that oh you know well, this is mine all of a sudden just makes it way more personal and way more meaningful. And so that's that's kind of the ultimate goal. I think, in, in, and I know we're going over, but I, there's so much we have to edit out that, <laughs> from me. Um, one of the things I think is interesting that correlates with English and science, and I'm being very general here, mm-hmm. is the idea that, I love to tell students this, when you start, re- when you do research on something, maybe it's gun control or mm-hmm. whatever you're researching, you are joining a conversation that was going on well before you. Yes, yes. So yes. I really try to encourage students to understand that it's not so much about having a right or wrong answer mm-hmm. or proving and not proving. Right. It, it, especially in the humanities, it's about okay, what is the conversation? Mm-hmm. Listening to it, being yes. able to summarize and understand what other people have said, and then thinking about it mm-hmm. and adding to the conversation. And we do that. I try to tell them all the time. I'm like, just imagine that late night conversation you have with a friend <laughs> yes. where you get serious yeah. and you, you're not making jokes anymore. You know, you're, you're having a serious conversation. Right. That's what we're trying to do in here. You know, yeah, we're trying yeah. to have a serious conversation where you add to it. But first, you've got to listen because mm-hmm. we, you know, social media especially has trained people to read the headline. Yes. And. You know, and the echo yeah, chamber and bite-sized information, and yeah, it's, okay. it's just listen. You know, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to listen to people that you disagree with. That's hard. Yes, it is so hard. Very much so. And we are generally bad at it. It's just yeah, as a people, we're just not very good at it at all. I'm not good at yeah, it. It makes either. me uncomfortable. It makes mm-hmm. me physically uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, I get it all the time. <laughs> so, but I like to tell my students that too. Like, it's just human mm-hmm. to not want to. But especially in an academic setting, if you're doing a, an experiment right. or you're doing research, you're trying to get as close to the truth as you can, yeah. whatever that is. Right, right. Or to be most accurate or right. honest. I try to emphasize honesty over everything. Because yeah, you may yeah. be dead wrong. <laughs> right. Certainly in something like a writing course. Yeah. You know what I mean? But anyway, I guess we can wrap this up. Were there any <laughs> were there any final thoughts that you that you had? Oh gosh. I think so I'm going to do a little call to arms here at the end. Perfect. Which is, and, and I kind of have to, you know, wake up and look at myself in the mirror and kind of remind this, remind myself of this every day, which is things don't have to be this way. Things can be better. Um, and it's very easy to just, you know, stay in that routine. Yeah, I want things to be different, but, you know, it's it's so much effort and and. If I go, if I try as hard as I possibly can, will I make a difference at all? So I could just, you know, 
do what I can and, and kind of keep quiet and go with the flow because it's probably not going to make a difference anyway. It's very easy to be that way, and I'm, I'm, I do that all the time. But I think just knowing for you know students in, in class learning, it can be better. You can help make it better. Teachers, we can help make the institution better. People, we can help make society better, whatever. Uh, I think it's you know what we're trying to do in education, which is make people question, make people think. But you can't do that without making it meaningful or caring about it at all. Um, so just realizing that caring and thinking is important and that together, uh, you know, we love to talk about solidarity and, and, you know, coming together, but those really aren't just empty words. That is how we, we change. So just kind of realizing that I tell my students all the time, there is a better world out there, but you can only get to that better world by coming together and doing it together. So just, you know, as always, I, I like to end my, you know, my days with students, which is just work together, go out there, you know, demand change and fight for it. Amen. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you I for I really me. enjoyed it and you've, you've sparked some really good ideas. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.